This particular word that I'm going to share with you this afternoon, this is it. This is the conclusion of our Destiny Decisions series. Has it been blessing anybody? Anybody? Now, I do want to ask, because I, I like to try to judge on how effective a series has been. Is there anybody since this series, you have started to be more aware of your decisions? Yes. Start to think, hold on, I remember pastor said, so a decision, reap a condition. Yes. Okay. This, this particular message on this afternoon, the best example I can give you is when my daughter was about three years old, we had some family and some friends over and we were playing my favorite card game, Uno. I love Uno. Spades, blackjack, y'all can keep it. Go fish and keep it. Jerry loves Uno. And so she's three years old and she's learning how to play Uno as well. And so it got to the championship round and it was me and my sister and the heat was on. And so my daughter would look at my hand and then she would go over and look at my sister's hand. And then she would go back and she would look at daddy's hand. And now I had two cards left in my hand. Now you know once you put that one card down, you holler, Uno, right? So she looks at my hand and she says, Daddy, why don't you just put down the yellow draw too? <laughs> like, girl, now my opponent knows don't put down anything yellow. You revealed my hand. This message is going to reveal the hand of the enemy. This sermon on this afternoon is going to reveal the hand of the enemy seeing pray for us pray for your leaders because satan can't stand leaders who reveal his hand satan can't stand leaders who expose his strategies and his agenda but i'm exposing it on this afternoon one of the tactics of the enemy is he wants us to waste our time what can i do to make them waste their time. I, I want to help them make decisions. I want to be an assistant to them to self-sabotage the time that God has given them. Because yes, time flies, but your decisions are the pilot. Did y'all hear what I just said? <laughs> yes, time flies, but your decisions and your choices are the pilot. Decisions reflect priorities. Show me your decisions. I'll show you your priorities. I want to speak for the finale of this Destiny Decision Series. I want to speak around this thought for part 10. Stop wasting my time. Can I get y'all to say it with me? I want you to say it like somebody just came in your life. Play with your heart, your emotions, and your head. I want you to say it like you're looking at a car and this salesman is telling you everything about the car only to find out it's not even on the lot. I want you to say it like you're hungry. Your friend told you to come over. You open the fridge and all you get is air. I, can I get all of us to say, stop wasting my time. One more time. Stop wasting my time and I wonder how many of us don't even recognize that God is saying that to you saw that switch <laughs> the time I have given you stop wasting my time God would you help us be wise steward over our time all the study means absolutely nothing if you are magnified and glorified. We're asking that this word be a word that molds our heart and shifts our perspective and our patterns so that we will not waste our time, which ultimately leads into wasting our life. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody who agrees to that prayer would just shout in the room, amen. amen. There's this passage of scripture that I was reading this morning that greatly complements the backdrop of this preaching presentation, and that is Psalms 39, Psalms 39, verse 4. It's when the psalmist says, O Lord, make me know my end, and what is the measure of my days? Let me know how fleeting I am. David is saying, God, help me to remember that I'm living on borrowed time. Help me to understand each and every day. I make destiny choices daily or I waste my life daily. Help me to measure the days so that I can remember how fleeting I am. 
Similar to a cold day, you blow your breath in the air. You see the vapor, then shortly thereafter, it's gone. David is saying, help us to remember our life is like that. And help me to start measuring the days. Ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, I would like to bring your attention and your awareness to this revolutionary, life-changing, like mind-blowing, like it's just been having me trip ever since Tuesday when I started engaging in sermon prep to serve you all this afternoon. And that is one of the first decrees. I don't know how I missed this. I've read the Bible, like I read it several times, and I never saw this. This just proves to me the word of God is inexhaustible. <laughs> when I first became a pastor, I was like, how am I going to preach from this book for the rest of my life? And I'm going to run out of content, and I was like, nope, this one verse shows you. <laughs> there, there is this first decree, this first ordinance of heaven for the earth revolved around timing. Can I get somebody to say timing? timing? Don't miss it. The very first ordinance of the kingdom for the earth revolved and orbited around timing. We see this to be true, and this truth is captured from the creation narrative in Genesis chapter 1, verse 3, when God said, let there be light, then instantly there was light. And that light has not stopped shining since. He said, let there be lights, greater lights by day and then lesser lights by night. We know these two to be the sun and the moon. So what we see here is God is saying there is a specific timing for the sun to be on the scene. And then there's a specific timing for the moon to be on the scene. The distinction between these two separate night from day and day from night. This is how we get day one. This is how we get day two. This is how we get day three. What are we seeing just in the creation narrative alone? I'm in Genesis chapter one. From the creation narrative alone, we are seeing God cultivate timing. One more time, somebody say timing. timing. The first establishment of the kingdom for the earth revolved around timing. There was something that God needed to do on the first day, and God did it. He stepped back and he looked at it, and God saw that it was good. And then there was something that God needed to do on the second day, and God did that. He stepped back, he looked at it, and God said, that's good too. And then there's something that God needed to do on the third day. God did it, he stepped back, he looked at it, and God saw that it was good. Seven words. Seven words that have radically changed my life that we can abstract from Genesis chapter 1, verse 18. And those seven words are, and God saw that it was good. Somebody may be listening like, okay, um, Jay, I'm not understanding what's so deep about that. I don't understand what's so profound about, and God saw that it was good. The reason it's so profound and it blessed my life is because it's showing me God is able to see the good in stuff that's unfinished. Y'all missed it. God is able to look at things and see you still need some development, but you're good. You still need some maturity, but you're good. You haven't got your character together yet. We're working on it, but you're good. You haven't got rid of that petty yet, but you're good. You haven't got rid of that attitude yet, but you're good. God is able to look at stuff that's incomplete and see and say it's good. Are you able to look at stuff that's unfinished? See how quiet it's getting? Are you able to look at stuff that's incomplete? Are you able to look at stuff that still needs work? Are you able to look at stuff that's in phases and say it's good? Now you have to understand this about God. We're talking about the omniscient, omnipresent, all-knowing God. Like God could have just said, let there be earth done. Right? God could have said, like, I just want the whole world done, boom. He could have thought it, 
and it happened. He didn't need to take days to do this. God could have spoken it and it's done. God could have looked at it and it could be done, but God is showing us how he builds. His methodology of building is in phases. He builds in phases and he's able to look at each phase and say, it's good at that phase. I'm not done yet, but it's good at that phase. Go to the next phase. I'm not done with that yet, but it's good. He's able to look at phases and see the good. And I wonder, is there anybody under the sound of my voice who can look at things that are incomplete and still see it's good? Because it's God-like to see the good and stuff that's unfinished. Y'all didn't hear what I just said. It's God-like. See, this is for the person who is hard on themselves. This is for the individual in the room who has been verbally abusive to themselves because they want a faster turnover time. This is for all of my perfectionists in the room, all of the perfectionist people watching online. This is for those who lack patience with you, you lack patience with others, and you even lack patience with God. It's God-like to see things that are unfinished and see it's good. It's kingdom-like to see things that still need work and see it's good. But it's this culture's obsession with speed. Talk Holy Ghost. It's this this culture's obsession with speed. Expedited shipping. Drive-through process. On-demand access. Instant gratification. Priority shipping. Express shipping. It's this culture's mindset that has affected us so much so to where we don't even look for works in process, we only look for completed projects. (laughs) Your neck, your neck. We don't even look, like I only want completed projects. I don't want works in process. I tried to get us to understand this on Therapy Thursday three weeks ago that God does not hand out arcs. He gives you trees and blueprints. I build in phases. Somebody say phases. I wonder how many people we could reach if we stopped carrying ourselves like a complete, completed project, but we started to carry ourselves like a work in process. Like I wonder how many people you can witness to if you stop carrying yourself like a completed project. But you start carrying yourself like a work in process. You'll be able to tell people like, you know what? I'm still dealing with that too. I'm still struggling with that too. I'm right there with you. But you know the good news? We serve the God who still see the good and stuff that's unfinished. I'm a work in process. I'm right there with you too. You know what, sis? I still battle with that sometimes too. And that's okay. You know why? Because we serve a God who sees the good and stuff that's unfinished. I'm a work in process. How many people could we represent the kingdom to if we stopped carrying ourselves like we had it all together? Yahweh is still processing that out of me. See, there's somebody in the house, your anxiety is through the roof. In the house and online, your anxiety is through the ceiling. Because one of the lies of anxiety is it constantly tells you everything is urgent. (laughs) Hurry up. Got to do it now. One of the lies of anxiety, it tells you everything is urgent. But watch this. Haste is the greatest enemy to discernment. Did y'all hear me? Haste is the greatest enemy to discernment. So when you know no other speed than urgency... You risk seeing every red flag God shows you in a blur. Talk. Every warning God shows you, we miss it. Every cautioning God shows us, we miss it. Every red flag God shows us, y'all don't want to talk to me. Every red flag God shows us, we miss it. Every exit we need to take, we miss it because we're living on the speed of urgency. Moving so fast. Haste is the greatest enemy to discernment and the lie of anxiety is it tells you everything is urgent there's somebody else under the sound of my voice plagued by overthinking constantly creating mental scenarios and you know what we've done we've allowed our inner critic to become our therapist so much so to where we're barren with our gifts 
That book, we don't birth it. That idea, we don't birth it. That song, we don't birth it. And then we're frustrated over the fact that we didn't birth it. And so now I try to use dopamine hits to numb me from that frustration. Talk, Holy Ghost. You're frustrated with every phase of your life. Frustrated when you were single, and now you're frustrated that you're married. Frustrated when you were unemployed. Frustrated now on your job. Frustrated when you worked here. Frustrated when you worked there. Frustrated at that church. Now you're frustrated in this church. Frustrated with your mama. Now you're frustrated with your daddy. You are frustrated with your ex-husband. Now you're frustrated with your new husband. Every phase frustrated. And could it be because we don't know how to see the good in stuff that's not finished? But the Apostle Paul, he gives us the antidote. He says, you know how to see the good in stuff that's unfinished? He tells us the sauce. He gives us the secret in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Rejoice means I don't have to have the graduation to rejoice. I don't have to get approved to rejoice. I don't have to cross the finish line to rejoice. In fact, Paul puts it this way. There are only two times that you can rejoice in the Lord. You know when they are? When you feel like it and when you don't. Rejoice in the Lord always. How about we pause for a second, right in the introduction of this message, pull over, park, put a quarter in the meter, and let's give God a rejoice praise in the house. It doesn't feel good, but I'm going to rejoice. I don't like it, but I'm going to rejoice. It hurts, but I'm going to rejoice. Didn't get approved yet, but I'm going to rejoice. I got denied, but I'm going to rejoice. I didn't get the position, but I'm going to rejoice. I didn't get the house yet, but I'm going to rejoice. My idea didn't take off, but I'm going to rejoice. Negative doctor's report, but I'm going to rejoice because there are two times for you to rejoice. When you feel like it and when you don't. Rejoice in the Lord always. So now you'll be able to rejoice at progress reports, not just report cards. God is able to step back and see the good and stuff that's unfinished. And one of the most common messages we get, mailed here to the church, DM'd, voicemails on the church box, if I would have heard this earlier. <laughs> If I would have heard this series earlier, if I would have known about this church earlier, I only live 20 minutes away. If I would have known about this earlier, let me change your perspective just for a few moments. How about you become proud of the person of the past, comma, that decided to continue the journey because today, here you are. That's for somebody. Oh, I wish I wouldn't have done that. How about be proud of the person of the past, comma, who decided to continue the journey because here you are today. I just feel this, y'all. Can we find like two or three people around you and just fist bump them and tell them I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you. You don't know what they're going through. You don't know what they're facing. You don't know how the pandemic has been for them. Find somebody and tell them I'm proud of you. The fact that you're here means you didn't quit. I'm proud of you. What we are seeing in this creation narrative, the first ordinance of the kingdom for the earth is revolving around time. The finale of this series, this whole series has been orchestrated and designed to get us to understand you have a purpose. Like there is a mission that you're supposed to complete in time while you're in time. If you did not have a purpose, you would be dead. But the fact that you are still here means there's something that you're supposed to do in time while you still have time. You have a mission. There's something that you're supposed to complete and be occupied with while you are in time. There is a mandate on your life. Don't let the devil tell you you should commit suicide. The reason you have a pulse is because there's something you're supposed to do in time. And I've been preaching Sweating out my clothes for 10 weeks. We've been in this series. That's like a boot camp length. 10 weeks. We've only done two series this year. King Encounters and Destiny Decisions. And I've been preaching passionately for the past 10 weeks 
because I want us to understand your decisions are pregnant. Hear me. When we do things, it's not as though God has added something to your life because of that choice. The choice was already pregnant. Decisions are pregnant with the potential to give birth to a season. And I wanted us to understand, I have to make decisions that are productive for my destiny versus decisions that keep me in places longer than I have to be because our life is filled with two things, God moments and demonic traps. God moments and demonic traps. What is a demonic trap? It is a spiritual ambush dressed up as an opportunity. Did y'all hear me? A demonic trap, it is a spiritual ambush dressed up as an opportunity that's designed to kill, steal, and destroy something from your life. Did y'all hear me? Thank you for the one preach. Did y'all hear me? A demonic trap, it is a spiritual ambush dressed up like an opportunity. See, this is why it's dangerous when you chase opportunities because you'll end up in traps. When you live in purpose, opportunities will find you. When you're out of purpose, you got to search for opportunities. Demonic traps, they're spiritual ambushes playing dress up as an opportunity designed to kill, steal, and destroy something for your life. But God moments, God moments are divine occasions where God reveals a glimpse and gives you instructions about your next while you're still in your now. This is so good, y'all. Lord, thank you. We going out with a bang. God moments. It's a divine occasion. They happen ever so often in your life. There are God moments. It's a divine occasion where God gives you a glimpse and instructions for your next while you're still in your now. This is interwoven all throughout the fabric of scripture. I can give you a Bible all day. Moses at the burning bush. What was that? That was a God moment. God was giving him a glimpse and instructions about his next while he was still in his now. I can give you more Bible. Abraham, when God told him, get out of your father's house. Leave this country and go to a place where I will show you and I will make you a great nation. What was that? That was a God moment where God was trying to give him a glimpse and instructions for his next while he was still in his now. Or what about Jesus? When he rolled up on the disciples while they were fishing, he was like, okay, y'all can chill with that. Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. What is he doing? He is giving them a glimpse and instructions over their next while they're still in their now. Let's make it real personal. Some of us don't even recognize every time you come to church. Every time you come here, it's a God moment. It's a divine occasion in your life that you're intentional with, that God has given you a glimpse and he's giving you instructions about your next while you are in your now. God is saying, okay, listen, there's some decisions that are going to come before you in 2022. Before you make that decision, come here and get some wisdom. There's some opportunities that are going to come before you this year in July, in August, and September. Before you get there, come here. I'm giving you instructions now so it can prepare you for your next. Come here, let's get some wisdom. Let's get some wisdom. It's a scholarship off of somebody else's expense. Come get some wisdom. It's the professor of brilliance. Come get some wisdom. Wisdom is the shade that makes you miss the heat of foolishness. Come get you some wisdom. Wisdom. Wisdom is a security deposit for your destiny. Come get some wisdom. Somebody say wisdom. wisdom. And I'm trying to give you this wisdom because you don't know what's coming. And if I could have my people have wisdom in the arena of their decision-making, maybe we will stop having those engage in self-sabotage and then blame God for the results. I said all of that to say, it was a lot, wasn't it? <laughs> I said all of that to say, if one of the first ordinances of heaven for the earth revolved around timing, then the military science of hell is going to be to get you to waste your time. The first thing of the kingdom for the earth, the first establishment for the earth revolved around timing, 
then the warfare strategy of hell is going to be, I want to get them to waste their time. Now, how does Satan get us to waste our time? He does it by cycles. Cycles. I can't construct their tomorrow because Satan can't create. All he can do is imitate. That's a whole sermon. He cannot create. All he can do is imitate. I cannot construct their tomorrow. But if I can get them in a cycle, their cycle will construct their tomorrow. So I get them to waste time by getting them in a cycle. And God has granted you to be the CEO over your time, meaning your free will. You have the freedom to decide what you're going to do with your time. In the word, he tells us how to use our time, but ultimately, you are the CEO over your time. And time management, time management is a stewardship principle. See, it's going to get real quiet now because we're not going to like the remainder of this sermon. And that's okay. I tried to make it short because I know it's Memorial Day weekend. Most of us don't even recognize that lacking stewardship with your time is the spawning pool for regret. <laughs> Y'all going to have to loop this. We haven't recognized that lacking stewardship with our time is the spawning pool for regret. Like in my own life, I have deliberately slowed down. The ministry started to grow. Instead of me trying to grow it, I said, hold up. Let me slow down. I'm not going to regret when my son and my daughter is 16 because I dedicated that decade to ministry and I miss when they're five and six. I'm going to slow down. This ain't going nowhere. There will always be another preacher. There will always be another minister, but they only got one daddy. My wife only has one husband. I'm not a slave to this. Slow down. Slow down. Hold up. Hold up. Don't fall into the trap of busyness but versus effectiveness. A lot of us are busy, but we're not effective. Sometimes the most effective thing I could do is tell you no so I could be a dad. So hold up. Slow down. Because lacking stewardship with your time is the spawning pool for regret. Ooh, this is about to get ugly. You know why some elderly people are really mean? It's about to get real. Like, like why are they so mean? Just bomba. Just have this look on their face like everything stinks. <laughs> it's because the older you are, the more you recognize how much time you've wasted. And you start to take out how you feel about you on other people. Because every birthday is a painful billboard that you wasted time. You wasted time. You, you know why certain people are so moody around the holidays? And Christmas and New Year's Eve, why everybody else is Merry Christmas and they just walk around like something stinks? It's because every time New Year's Eve gets here, it's a reminder you wasted another year. Is this too real? No. Birthdays. Why aren't you happy? God gave you another year. Because my birthday is a reminder I wasted the last year. So what the enemy tries to do is he tries to get us in those cycles. See, we have to understand this. Any spiritual leader or any pastor that's not intentional about telling you the beauty of the gospel about how Jesus died on the cross for the remission of our sins, rose from the grave with all power in his hand, and now has given us next level power and telling people that you have a purpose. Like any spiritual leader that is not hyper-focused on letting people know there's something you're supposed to do with your time is wasting yours. This is a real, real, like, churchy statement I'm about to say. For some people, going to church is a waste of their time. Because he ain't saying nothing. It's your season, and it's your moment, and God, help me with my life, though. How do I manage emotions? I don't understand that part in Psalms. Can you exegete that? Can you break that down? Help me understand the Bible. How do I read the Bible? How do I study the Bible? What does it mean to talk in tongues? Do I need more than one? What does that mean? What's Christ Jesus' last name? I need to know. <laughs> Give me some biblical intelligence and education. Don't just tell me it's my season because I don't know how to navigate when it's not. 
See, these sugar-coated messages have messed people up when they deal with hellish seasons. You're called to be salt. Why are you binging sugar? We're called to be light. Why you keep throwing shade? All right. And listen, until you know what you're supposed to do in time, you risk wasting your time. Part one of this series, I dealt with that. I was born for this. Your purpose, how to discover that. If you did not check it out, go back and check it out. But until you know why you're here, you risk wasting your time. It also works to your advantage. When you know what you're supposed to do with your time, you can label what is a waste of time. For example, my wife and I, we could have went to have sushi and go see a movie last night. I could have stayed up to 2 in the morning playing Call of Duty last night. I could have. It's not a sin. You know, that's what we like to say. It's not a sin. <laughs> it's not a sin. But the, but the way I'm able to label it as a time waster is because I know what I got to do in the morning. See, so now I can properly say we can go get sushi on Tuesday. I can play Call of Duty on Monday or maybe even after church. We can have fun then. But since I know what I'm supposed to do, what with my time, I can label properly what's a waste of it. Because watch this. Time wasters become friends with other time wasters. And so what they end up doing is spending time together, literally. Did y'all catch that? Time wasters become friends with time wasters. This is why weed heads are friends with weed heads. Call of Duty players are friends with Call of Duty players. Like time wasters become time waster friends with other time wasters so that they could spend time together. Literally. Like time is currency. It's not money. Culture telling you time is money. No, it's not. Time is currency. Because it's expensive, not priceless. You could take my pants, I could buy some new pants. You could take my shirt, I could buy another one. You could take my laptop, I could buy another one. But if you take a year from me, I can't get that back. Is this making sense? You can't get a month back, you can't get a week back, you can't get a day back. Time is not expensive. It's priceless, and it is one of your greatest commodities, and it's the first establishment of the kingdom for the earth, timing. How do I get people to waste their life? I get them to start staying in cycles. Cycles. Like anytime you keep seeing the same thing, <laughs> Anytime you keep seeing the same thing, that's an indicator that you're in a cycle. Let me help us better understand it. Like, if you keep having the same attitude, it's just a different day. Like, if I keep on having the same mindset, it's just a different day. If my lust is on the same level, but it's just a different day. If, if my pattern is on the same level, but a different day. Or how about this? If it's the same man, just a different name. If, if it's just the same crazy woman, just a different name. Like after a while, you should want some new problems. Anybody want some new problems? I'm tired of dealing with the same men. I'm tired of dealing with the same mindset. These are indicators that I am in a pattern. And the reason I'm preaching so passionately is because I believe this is the house. I just believe there's some people in here and watching online. You're the one that's going to break the cycle. I just believe it. Listen, your testimony will be somebody else's textbook. Did y'all hear me? Your testimony will be somebody else's textbook. You will be able to tell them how I broke the cycle of a porn addiction. It's your testimony, but it's their survival guide. You will be able to tell somebody else how I got out of poverty. It's your testimony, but it's their textbook. Cycles, cycles. Cycles, 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 the hamster wheel of cycles, 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 just keep you on this, this hamster wheel. See, we think a spiritual warfare comes in the form of an assault. 
or comes in the form of a devil, or comes in the form of a demon? What if I told you that it comes in the form of a hamster wheel? It's a cycle, 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 cycle. The merry-go-round of self-sabotage. Cycles, cycles. The, the continued sequence of choosing entertainment over assignments. Cycles, cycles, coming home every day, taking off your clothes and spending hours on Netflix. Here come your subscriptions. Hours on Hulu, hours on HBO Max, hours on YouTube. We don't even recognize that we are incarcerated to the addiction of pressing next episode. Cycles, cycles, cycles. You think it's the devil. You think it's a demon. I'm trying to let you know he tricks you with the cycle, cycle, cycle. It's the continued pattern of a dysfunction that's on fire. Like you feel this is unhealthy. But instead of you trying to get out of the dysfunction, for some strange reason, you enjoy the warmth. And you keep on wondering why people keep burning you. Cycles, cycles, cycles. It is psychological confusion on repeat. Talk Holy Spirit psychological confusion on repeat that has you falling in love with not being you. Did y'all hear what I just said? Falling in love with not being you. This isn't you. This is mama cycle. Mm -hmm. This isn't your personality. This is your survival tactic of when you are with them. This isn't you. You don't even like that type of food. Your ex did. It's a cycle that you have falling in love with not being you. And culture has a good way of telling you to be you, but really copy them. <laughs> Cycles. I want to give you Bible. I want to show you this in 1 Kings. 1 Kings chapter 15. On your own time, I really challenge you to read the book of Kings, 1 and 2 Kings. It's just the chronicle of kings that, that raise up and it introduces prophets, but it also gives you records of Israel's kingdom. And I want to show you this. 1 Kings chapter 15, verse 25. If you don't have it, you can look on the screen. It says, Nabod, son of Jeroboam, became king over Israel in the second year of Asa, king of Judah. And he reigned over Israel two years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Look at this. Following the ways of his father and committing the same sin his father had caused Israel to commit. Now let's just jump down. I want to just show you how this first and second Kings work for those who haven't read these books of the Bible. Let's just hop down to verse 33. It almost sounds exactly the same, but it's different. It says, in the third year of Asa, king of Judah, Besha, son of Ahijah, became king of all Israel in Torah. And he reigned 24 years. Look at this. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord, following the ways of Jeroboam and committing the same sin Jeroboam had caused Israel to commit. Doesn't that sound like the exact same thing? If we just flip our Bible over just one chapter, the first Kings chapter 16, and we go down to verse 25, it says, but Amir did evil in the eyes of the Lord and sinned more than all those before him. Please notice how it's getting worse with each generation. Sin more than all those before him, he followed completely the ways of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, committing the same sin Jeroboam had caused Israel to commit. What we are seeing in this text is that cycles can be generational. King to king. A generational cycle of wickedness. Leader to leader. A generational cycle of wickedness. Father to son. A generational cycle of wickedness. So the enemy is like, okay, there's this cycle that worked on your great, 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 great grandfather. 
And it's possibly going to work on you too. There was a cycle that worked on your great, 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 great grandmother. And it's possibly going to work on you too. There was a cycle that worked on your mother and your daddy. And it's possibly going to work on you too. See, some of us don't even recognize all of our bloodlines have a certain sin that we're more bent towards. All of them. If you look at your family tree, your family reunion, or research it, you'll notice all of us seem to be bent towards alcoholism. Uh, like, everybody in my family gets divorced, just, just bent towards that. Nobody gets married. They all live together. Nobody in my family, my mama, my grandma, my auntie, my cousins, that there's just a certain, like, all the men in my family are narcissistic. <laughs> just look at it. Ladies don't laugh too, laugh too much. All the women in my family are narcissistic and crazy and will curse me out in a minute. All of them. <laughs> All of us waste time on social media. Call mama, she'll tell you, let me call you back, my show on girl. Y'all don't want to talk to me. It's, it's a bloodline system. The enemy sees, okay, this worked before they got here. There are cycles that existed before you were ever a thought. There are cycles that existed before you could have a goo-goo and gaga. And the enemy knows if I could introduce that familiar cycle, maybe they'll start on the hamster wheel too. Look at this. This scripture that I told us all throughout this series in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 17, says, do not be overly wicked. Y'all remember this, right? Do not be overly wicked and do not be a fool. Why die before your time? Listen, this must mean there was an appointed time that you're supposed to die. But due to my wickedness and my foolishness, I died before my time. Is this making sense? I'm preaching like this because real leaders don't look to create followers. I'm trying to emerge more leaders. And more of us need to lead in breaking cycles and lead in bloodline shifting. You're leaders and you're in the house. And I'm trying to tell you it's going to feel like a lonely road because you're breaking something. Your family won't understand you. It's because you're breaking something. They will call you less. It's because you're breaking something. They will say we didn't raise you like that. I know I don't want them to continue to be raised like that. You're breaking something. And you have to be okay with being the one who's bold enough to say it stops with me. By the power and the blood of Jesus, this is where it stops. I want you to see this chart. I created this chart. I want you to see this. It says, do not be overly wicked and do not be a fool. Why die before your time? Okay? So what this means to me is your life span is going in this whole continued pattern. Now, in your life, you have decisions. You make decisions here, here, and here, and you're going to continue to make decisions, but depending on if you make decisions in wisdom, it could get you here. Premature death. You were supposed to get here, your appointed time, but based on my decisions, it stopped me here. Is this making sense? You don't just randomly choose who you're going to marry. You don't just randomly choose who you're going to go in business with. This has to be something that has destiny in mind. Okay? Because I understand whatever I do today is going to affect tomorrow. Destiny is discovered daily. 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 Before this sanctuary was filled, Torrance, Sister Tracy, Keisha, my wife could tell you, I would come up here by myself. And I saw you in 2018 when it was empty. Destiny is cultivated daily. When you leave here, whatever results you want is going to be cultivated daily. And what I don't want is for us to be people who die before our time due to your decisions. Because there was an appointed time. There's an appointed time for all of us to die. But to the best of our capability, God give me wisdom so that just like this text tells me, I do not make decisions. And I'm not living foolish that will cause for me to die before my time. Remember this. God 
has a cadence, but hell has a cycle. This is so powerful, y'all. God has a cadence. You develop a cadence. In all your ways, you acknowledge me. Let that be your cadence. So you develop a pattern that before I say yes, I'm going to pray on it. I'm going to pray on it. In all your ways, I'm going to seek him. That's my cadence. That's my cadence. Forsake not the fellowship of the unashamed. Forsake not the fellowship of the believers. That's coming to church. That's community. That's my cadence. That's my pattern. I'm going to pray, fast, repeat. I'm going to pray, fast, repeat. Whatever it is that God is calling you to, i got to develop my cadence because God has a cadence, but hell has a cycle. And here's the thing. When you really understand what you're called to do, you will care less about people who don't like you. Can I help us out? You know why it's so hard for some of us to accept that people don't like you? Because you haven't understood your, your assignment yet. Because when you understand your destiny, you're going to say no a lot. Hey, Jerry, I just hit you up. You want to have brunch today, Sunday at 10 o'clock? No. It's not even, not even an option. You know why? I got to be here. If I didn't have to be here, I might say yes. You want to come through? No. Why? I got choir rehearsal. When you don't know what you're supposed to do, you'll end up saying yes to things that you're not supposed to do. You see, it's not legalism. It's purpose awareness. Does this make sense? It's his destiny awareness. Like it's the holiness of no. Holy means to be separate. So my destiny has separated me from always telling you yes. When I know what I'm supposed to do, I'm going to tell people no a lot. And it's not nothing purpose on personal. It's just purposeful. David puts it this way in Psalms 90. Psalms 90 verse 20, verse 12. He says, so... Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. I was reading that over and over Tuesday night. Teach us to number our days. And he connects it with that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And what I do many times, I learned this in seminary. I like reading scriptures backwards. They help, they make sense to me when I do that. Okay, that we may gain a heart of wisdom, teach me to number my days. My heart of wisdom helps me to number my day. Without wisdom, I won't remember each day is numbered. But when I have wisdom, I'll know each and every day I got is critical because of my time. Now, remember, I'm in time to do something with my time. And so now that I know I'm in time to do something with my time, give me a heart of wisdom so I can measure my time. I want to talk to you. You got 20 minutes. That's what I'm thinking in my mind. You got 20 minutes. Is that being mean to you? No. It's I know what else I have to do with my time. And so now I'm trying to get us to really get this. Time is your greatest commodity. It's your greatest asset. Has anybody else arrived to this place? Wasting time, wasting my time is a form of disrespect. Anybody there or is it just me? Like somebody coming in my life, playing games, playing with my emotions and wasting my time, that's disrespectful, bruh. Me coming up here, giving you a half-studied, half-repaired, redundant, recycled message that I, that I plagiarized off Google, that's wasting your time. I want to hear Rama. I want to hear something from God. Me not being intentional with being a better me is wasting my own time. Oh, this is going to hurt right here. Some of us are in relational context that you know is not God's will and you know it's unhealthy, but you don't want to start over because you view it as you wasted time. I don't want to start over. We've been dating four or five years. We live together. My whole family, we have all these pictures posted, and I don't want to start over. I know it's unhealthy. I know it's toxic. I know it's not God's will, but I've invested so much time. So I'd rather deal with what is not God's will than the embarrassment of saying that was just a waste of time. 
Oh, if I could help somebody, it's not even my notes, God just giving this to me. If I could just help somebody, loving them harder won't make them change. It won't, not at all. All it would do is continue to cause yourself to make excuses for you trying to do a God job. God changes people, not you. It's so hard, it's because it's a God job. All right, let me get to my notes, I'm done. Give you four points and we're done and you can enjoy your day, but there's this confession that I want us to say. Can I get all of us to say this? Father, help me to remove anything in my life that's assisting me in wasting my time. I will not waste my life. One more time, Father, help me to remove anything in my life that's assisting me in wasting time I will not waste my life. That's it. That's it. Waste a day, you waste a week. Waste a week, you waste a month. Waste a month, you waste a year. Waste a year, you waste your life. And the subtle warfare strategy of the enemy on how he gets a lot of us to waste our life is cycles. You think it's a cycle of addiction. You think it's the cycle of a substance abuse. It's a cycle of wasting your time. Cycle of wasting your time. And what God has been trying to get us to understand with this whole series, I gave you a destiny. So have wisdom with your decisions. And as we end this series, I want you to understand you're on borrowed time. I'll do it tomorrow. I'll start tomorrow. Procrastination, I've said it so many times, is the graveyard of unexperienced blessings that are eulogized by your excuses. I got tomorrow. So these points, I want us to see. The reason this is so passionate for me is because I recognize, I have a biblical perspective. I recognize what you do in your lifetime will affect your afterlife placement. Did y'all hear me? What you do in your lifetime will affect your afterlife placement. So point number one, okay, how do I get to a place where I stop wasting my time? Knowing your why. That's number one, all day. How do I stop wasting my time? What's your why? Your why is going to strengthen your no. Your why is going to callous your heart to people pleasing. God already gave me a series for September. After we get done with extra strategies, I'm doing a series up until October dealing with people pleasing, period. Because too many of us care what people think. Can I tell y'all something? I was on like this leadership podcast a few days ago, and they were asking about the ministry and when you started, how did you stay motivated, and how did you, you know, still continue to push when you had like five views and 50 views? And I told them, I said, you know, back in 2014, there was no such thing as impressions. They weren't like analytics, not like how they are now. You reached 100 counts today. You re- and I said... I was faithful being blind. And I think what helped me is I never really knew what God was doing with the reach of it. I just knew what God was doing in me. This makes sense? I think, I think a lot of people, you judge your effectiveness based on numerical data. So you're judging your God-given work or off a numerical impression. I'm not that effective because I only had this many people watch it. I didn't have that. All I had was post, work on the next one, post, work on the next one, post, work on the next one. I was shocked when it took off. Maybe the beauty of being faithful is when you have your eye focused on heaven, you're not questioning yourself because of echoes. This makes sense? I can't stick with anything because I'm not looking to heaven. I'm looking at likes. I'm not looking at you for confirmation. I'm looking at you for affirmation. Knowing your why, it strengthens your no. Point number two, the establishment of spiritual disciplines. For anybody who has been struggling with wasting time, these two points are game changers for you. Knowing your why and the establishment of spiritual disciplines. That's prayer, that's serving, The fastest way to get God to move on your behalf is by serving somebody else. 
Stop with this. I'm going to do this when I get right. When I get right here. No, do it now. It's a water to wine process. While you're carrying the water, somehow you just transition in the wine. Does that make sense? Your spiritual disciplines. A lot of us waste time because you have no spiritual discipline. No prayer, no devotion, no reading time. I don't know what to pray. Watch the local news tonight. You'll stay in prayer 30 minutes. Serious. This is how I started to have a prayer life. When I would say that, I didn't know how to pray. Watch the news. Okay, I'm going to pray for that gun shoot. I'm going to pray for that domestic violence. And that's how I learned. Spiritual disciplines. Number three, I like this one. How do I end up not wasting my time? The reciprocity test. The reciprocity test. Now, for clarity, I'm not talking about bearing each other's burdens. Okay? We're supposed to do that. I broke that down. What is a burden? It is like a wrecking ball event. Your brother's house catch on fire. He calls and tells you, can I stay with you tonight? That's bearing a burden. We bear each other's burdens, but everybody carries their own load. That's your backpack. So if you spent $200 on a TV or $200 on some shoes and you're saying, can you catch me this month? No. Does that make sense? So I'm not talking about that. But the reciprocity test is to make sure I'm being filled the same way I'm pouring. Am I wasting time on them? Okay, is there a reciprocity sequence here? Even God likes reciprocity. Draw to me, and I'll draw to you. (laughs) It's the principle of sowing and reaping. Biblical all day. If I have any relational context with a person and they're taking more withdrawals than a deposit, that's not a friendship. That's not a partnership. That's a parasite. Am I wasting my time? What's the reciprocity level? Are you always pouring? Are they always pouring? Or is it I pour, they pour. I pour, they pour. So when you test reciprocity, I learned this from Joseph. When his brothers came back in his life, he didn't just accept them immediately. He tested them first. Why? I need to see if you're the same person. Because I'm sorry does not mean you've changed. All right? Last one. I revealed in this series, the way to recognize God has said yes is followed by favor, peace, and provision. Favor, peace, and provision. How do I stop wasting my time? What's your why? Work that. Work your why. Establish spiritual disciplines that keeps you fresh. We talked about that last week. Remember that, the catfish in your life? The reciprocity test. What are areas in my life that aren't fountains but they're drains? And that's not judging. That's knowing how to value your time. Time is your greatest currency. It's not expensive. It's priceless. And lastly, when it's God's hand on it, it'll be followed by favor, peace, and provision. And what the enemy is doing to most of us, he's done it to me before. I'm not too humble to admit I've not fallen before in cycles. But once you recognize this is a pattern, I keep spending four hours on social media. This is a pattern. Some of us stop taking your phone to the bathroom. <laughs> that was yours. Mm. It's supposed to be a few minutes, not 40. Time. Time. I'm going to pray in the morning. First thing you grab is your phone. Don't grab it first. Simple. Small tweaks take you to giant peaks. It's simple. Just don't grab your phone first. Pray. And that could break a cycle of me spending hours on social media complaining. Make sure you have to write it down. God, I'm going to say 10 things every day I'm grateful for to break the pattern of complaining about every situation. Because really, you deserve hell and death. Anything outside of that's a blessing. Commitment. I have to be self-motivated and I have to be disciplined because sometimes you're not going to feel like it. God's not going to stop you. The devil can't stop you. The only person that can stop you is you. So I just want to pray and this series was done. It's done. I hope it blessed you. Don't worry, exit strategy is going to be fire. 
extra strategies next Sunday. But I do want to pray because many of us are still in cycles. Father, we come before you after hearing this word, certain parts, God, were difficult for us to receive, but we recognize that it is appointed unto every man wants to die. And what we don't want to do is waste our life. We recognize, God, that you're not hiding your will from us. You're not hiding why we have been born. You want us as soon as we can to discover and cultivate the reason of our birth. We might have been a shock to our mother and our father, but we were right on time for you. Help us to understand that there is something that we're supposed to put to the plow and work while we're here in time. And I also pray, God, you expose every cycle, reveal the enemy's hand, as we leave this place, God, give us an epiphany on things that have been subtracting our time, which is ultimately subtracting our joy. For many of us, God, it's not that we have issues. It's a issue that's creating issues. And that issue is not stewarding our time well. We're asking that you give us the wisdom, the guidance, Father, and also the intelligence the spiritual IQ to recognize anything that's taken away from me, that's not equipping me to evolve. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody, if you are blessed by this series, this is the finale. Will you say amen?